Okay, just as uh, I was coming up, uh, Roscoe gave me this, and I just want to say this before we pray. Um, Chris, that comes with Roscoe, Chris Hatado, uh, is that his last name? I don't know about his last name. He had a fall at Reesby Station car park <clears throat> last night. He was with Roscoe, and he broke his left hip, and he's in Liverpool Hospital for surgery on Monday. So we're going to pray for, for Chris. Yeah, and, um, and uh, let's also commit the... Uh, service to the Lord. Great God, we do thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you that uh, even though sometimes we can turn up, (laughs) we're not always checked in. That which we come from can leave us a bit uh, uh, caught up in in what the past has happened and we can be thinking about the future and we're, we're planning for what's coming, but we know it's the present right now is where you work. You work with us in the now. And Father God, we would ask that in the now, right now, that you would speak to us. Father God, we've come to celebrate you because we realise and recognise that you are our great God. And we know that the best thing for us is to know you. And we want that reality to be a truth this morning. So Holy Spirit, lead us into that place that we can know you more and that we can live out of this. Father God, we want to pray for Chris, our brother Chris, who's fallen over, done his hip, and he's in hospital right now. We ask that you'd be with him. Be with him in the, in the surgery that he's going to receive tomorrow. Be with the doctors, the nurses, the specialists that are going to work with him. Be with him in his, uh, just um, the sadness that he might feel, the pain that he might be in, and ask that you would surround him, bring your angels, care for him, look over him, and bring about quick recovery. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Amen. Okay, I need the clicker. Where is that? Thank you. <clears throat> okay, we are still in Forward Together, moving forward together. And uh, we're going to keep going on in this series for the next couple of weeks anyway. You get me today, and then I'm at Liverpool next week, and then I'm back again, and I'll bring the other part two to this uh, sermon this morning. But what I want to look at are qualities that strengthen the family, qualities that strengthen the family. If we're going to move forward together to bring glory to God in the midst of our community, I believe it needs to start in the family. I believe the family is the hub, really, of a community, of our society. And I think that's why the families attack so much. I think the enemy knows if he can destroy family, he destroys community, he destroys society. That's why he will attack the family. And he will bring that down. So we're going to look at basic characteristics that build a family, characteristics or qualities that keep it strong. Now in every relationship, in every family, different relationships take on different forms. You have husband to wife, or adult to adult. You have parent to child, that direction. You also have the child back up to the parent, so it's this relationship this way, but you also have child to child. So even within the family hub, you have different relationships that are going on. And at every level of relationship, I believe there has to be a positive environment to help that relationship move forward. Now, our vision, let me get this right. Our vision, very simple. You know it, we're going to put it up here every week, and hopefully it's written across your heart. Because this is your desire. You want to see people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. That's what we take in 
to our neighbourhood, into our workplace. That's what we carry. It's also what we desire. I know I want to live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers me. It's all through his word. As I have my devotions and my quiet times in the morning, I see that, the freedom he brings to my life, the purpose, the course he sets me on to live. That is awesome. And I want to be a part of that. And so we want that for our society, but we also want that for our family. I want to see my children live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. And that includes um, uh, my extended family, but it makes me look a bit more inward and go, how am I bringing that about as an instrument for God to do that within my family? How can I be an instigator of bringing about the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers? I'm not the one that brings it. I mean, I'm not the one that... um, produces it, he's the one that produces it, but I'm the one that allows to bring that to the relationships. Okay? Um, freedom and purpose applies to every individual and every family member who belong to Christ. Now, some of you might be saying, well, you know, I, I, I don't have a family yet, so what's the sermon got to do for me? Or maybe some of you are saying, well, my family's all grown up and they've moved away. So what's this sermon really got to do for me? Or I'm no longer a part of a family. You know, I'm living by myself. But let me say, these qualities are not just bound to the family. And you're going to see this. They're characteristics that are basic for every relationship. So don't switch off, please. In fact, this is the point where you get out your journals, you get out your technology, your phones, ready to hear from God, okay, and write things down. I'm going to push this, I'm going to push this all the time that I'm up here because... We need to remember and we need to recall. So if you've got those, get them out, get your Bibles out and uh, we'll have a look. Now, the reason I want us to look at these qualities um, in the setting of the family is because of this. Children do what children see. Children do what children see. Have you ever made that statement? Oh, that, or you've heard someone said that to you, you're just like your father or you're just like your mother. Do you like that statement? <laughs> if you've got a family member sitting around you, maybe you don't want to answer that. <laughs> but people will say that to me, oh, you're just like your dad. But I have quite often said in my own, oh, I do not want to do that. My dad does that and that annoys me. I don't want to be like that. So there's this sense, though, that I end up doing what my father did. And I don't, it, it's, it's by osmosis. I live around a person, you live around a person long enough and you tend to live like them. So you do see qualities in you. I've got a little video, just watch this. And uh, it talks about children doing what children see. Thanks.
They find their purpose. And I think it is. It's very true. Children do what children see. See, the qualities that we're going to be looking at this morning, I think, will enable um, us to build healthy families, which in turn will build um, healthy individuals, healthy individuals that live within families, but those healthy individuals will go on to impacting the communities they live in, and then hopefully the society that we have around us. So we have to be sure that we're displaying the right qualities to start with. So I've got four areas that we're going to look at this week and then in two weeks' time we'll look at the other four. Okay, these are the four qualities. First, God-centeredness, servant leadership, resolving conflict and trustworthy actions. They're the four areas that we want to look at this morning, okay? The first one, God-centeredness. Now, God-centeredness is the key to all of the eight that we're going to be looking at. This is the centre. This is the number one. I want to read you a verse. It comes from Jeremiah, and it goes like this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It's a great verse. Jeremiah is saying this, and he starts, blessed is the one. The verse before it, or I think it's the two, five and six, talk about the cursed is the one. And he talks about that. But here's the blessing. Now, this is an amazing verse when you start to break it down. But what this verse is saying, and in the light of all the qualities we're going to look at, This is the number one. This is the highest quality. This is the the leading quality, I believe, for building a strong family. You get this right, and I think all the others are going to fall into place. So, in a way, this is the hub. This should be your core of what you do, which you live out from, which you look out from. Uh, We were at Hillsong this week, and one of the speakers is talking about the vista you have in life. We went uh, yesterday and had uh, afternoon tea down at one of the lookouts at Overlook uh, Wollongong. And we stood on the edge there, and down there was little ant world. You know what it's like when you stand on the edge of a... And the train runs past, but it's this big. You know, and you see the cars, and then this big. And you stand there, and it's like God's perspective. You look over the whole gamut of all that's happening. The seas, the rain was over the sea as it watched. we were watching it come in. That's the vista. But this is, having God at the centre of your life is the core to getting all the other things right. And in fact, the strength of what we work out from. Now, Jeremiah says this. Have a look if you can see those verses. He says, it's the one who trusts in the Lord. The one whose confidence is in God, who is in God, is the one who is blessed. Where's your trust put? Where is your confidence in your daily walk? Where is your confidence placed? Because if Jeremiah is right, and I believe he is, if it's based in God, if your trust is in God, if your trust is in the Lord, if your confidence is found in him, that's where the blessing will be found. Let me show you this. 
There's a nice picture. Nice tree right by the stream. It's a good place to be. A lovely place to be. And his illustration of this is about this blessing. And the blessing is like a tree that grows strong and complete. Strong and complete. It's because they're connected to the right place. And he says the tree that stands by the stream that has its roots deep down into that, then it can draw from God and take on that which is of God. And that's wonderful for each one of us. That's important for each one of us to be able to draw from that. Particularly, if you have a look at those words, when the heat comes. When the heat comes. You see, when you have God at the centre of your life, you can draw all you need from him from beyond yourself, can't you? It's, it's, it's beyond you. Because I don't know about you, but I know that I run out. I dry up. And I need more than me to produce that which is needed. In my family, in my life, in my world, I need more than me. And this is where it's found. When you have God at the centre of your life, you can draw all you need from beyond yourself. Now, life can sap you of all it's needed to to live, can't it? And in your family, the constant giving out to others can really drain you. If you're constantly giving out, it drains you. And sometimes... It feels like this. Does life ever feel like that? You're standing strong, but where's God in the midst of all this? But you see, that's the lie of the devil. Because God's presence never leaves. God's presence is always there. God's presence is always flowing. It's where we go. Whoa, what happened there? It's where we go that causes the difference. His promise is to provide when the heat comes. And that can mean in the middle of sickness, can't it? He's there when you are sick. You might not feel it, but he's there. He does not leave us. Even though there seems a drought or the heat is on. He's there when death comes. I've had to bury a few stillborn children. It's not me. Little coffins this big. And you hold the coffin. And the family is in great grief. But God is there with them, even in the midst of that grief. He's there in divorce. You know, I I think about the hardest time I've ever been through, and that would be the divorce that I went through. It was a horrific time. No wonder God says, I hate divorce. It's a horrible thing, it's destructive destroys families, it destroys the children in the families, destroys the partners. And I know for that time, it felt like I was like that. But I know God never left me. In fact, on this side of it, I look back and can see very clearly that he never left me. He clearly never left me. Sorry, let's go back. I went too far. It's very much like that. Very much like that. We need God to be our strength. A God-centered life allows you to draw from the one who created life and knows what you need to survive. So Jeremiah talks about 
fruit that never fails. It's interesting that he says this. Can you see that there? He says, you'll never fail to bear fruit in the midst of this time. Never fail to bear fruit. What does bearing fruit mean? I think bearing fruit means to produce the right outcomes. To produce the right outcomes. When Fee and I moved into our house at home, four and a half years ago, we planted three trees. A lime tree, a passion fruit tree, and a lemon tree. They're all pretty big, aren't they? It's because we planted them in the chicken yard. The chickens just poop on them and they love it. Good on your chickens, that's right. But this is the outcome of the tree. Now, if we didn't have fruit on the tree, I'd be going, what do I plant this for? There is no flowers on it. But I planted a tree. Fee does the watering and God does the producing. He brings about the fruit. Now, is that what we want in our life? We want fruit. We want that which produces right outcomes. And God brings that about. As we draw down deep, as our roots are buried deep into him. And like a tree that finds its life source in the river, God has not left us lost and unable to find him. That's why this is the key. Okay? And this is what he's done for us. He's given us his word to read so we can know him. His son to die and rise again, making a way back to him. And his indwelling spirit to empower and enable us to live out the blessing of bearing fruit. So we can know him. You know, we go, how can I get to know him more? Read his word. But we can step into this relationship. We can actually be a tree by the river because of what Christ has done for us. But he's gone, you know what? I'll make it even easier for you to live it out. I'll place myself in you, the indwelling Holy Spirit, which will enable you to live the life I have for you. That's what we have. So Jeremiah is very clear on how we live out this blessing. When you live your life trusting in God, having your confidence centered in him, even in the drought, when the heat comes, because God is your source of sustenance, you have no need to fear or worry. That's a big call. Because often it's in those times that you tend to have fear and you get anxious and you do worry. He says, there's no need to be like that. You can be reassured that he will sustain you and your family. And that's what your family needs to see in you. They need to see in you as parents that God is your sustenance, that God is your sustainer, that you are so grounded in him that you are drawing from his supply that you are an example to those who are looking on. Paul said this, Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That's that's what we get to do for our children. Bella's laughing at me. Do not exasperate your children. Because we have that relationship. (laughs) But he says, train them up in the instruction of the Lord. This is the opportunity we get to have with our family. But what better way to raise a family in the training and the instruction of the Lord than to do it this way? They need to see the place that God holds in our own life and how you are led by him in all you think and do. Now, we talk about getting real and taking action here. Here's a question I want to leave for you. And you're going to have to work this through. Can your family see your trust and confidence in God? 
Can your family see your trust and confidence in God? In the good times, as well as in the drought. That'll be the challenge. Do they see it in the drought? Okay? Let's go. Second one is... How come it went back to there? Sorry. We're going to... Servant leadership. Okay. Now, in every part of society, every part of society we have leaders. People who take up the reins and lead. I suppose that's if you can get a party formed to lead. We've got a bit of a problem at the moment, haven't we? I, don't have that. I haven't seen the news this morning. Are we any closer to getting something? Can anyone tell me? Not yet. Don't, don't check your phone now. <laughs> if we can get enough votes, there'll be a, a, a party formed somewhere. <clears throat> but in society, we either, let's see, we either vote them in, we either appoint them in, we either promote them, as in the army, you promote them up into leadership, or they're born into it. That's how leadership comes, isn't it, in our society? Either way, think about this, we end up with people over us. We end up with people over us, even if we like it or not. And they are our leaders. I was um, walking down at Oatley the other day and on the post, um, one of the telegraph posts, there was this poster, it said, politics, two words. First word, poly, which means many. Ticks, which means blood-sucking parasites. (laughs) Politics, many blood-sucking parasites. Then it said underneath, it doesn't matter who you vote for, you'll always end up with a politician. I thought, well, that's an interesting... It it wasn't about anyone except politicians on voting day. So you can make up your own mind about that. But leadership should not be bad. In fact, it's a must. The Bible talks about leaders all the time. It is a must. And in one way or another, we all end up being leaders at some level. And if you're a mum and dad, you are a leader. But... Children can be leaders. Did we have any school captains that used to be at school? Any of you were a school captain? Yeah, there's a couple here. There you go. Okay. Sports captains I'm talking about. You know, there's many different... There you go. There's many different levels of leadership. and, And we're invited into these or through, promoted or, I don't know, born into it. But we, we get there, don't we? The problem is when you either have too many leaders, hence the saying too many chiefs and not enough Indians, and that leads to motivational chaos. It's just out of control. Too many. Or the leadership you have is weak. The leadership you have is weak. And weak leadership reaps a harvest of failure. And that's why God constantly talks about strong servant leadership. Because he doesn't want weak leadership within our families. He wants servant leadership. See, the consequences are the same when applied to a family. A lack of strong leadership breeds problems. You hear of, and I I have personally witnessed this myself, parents who refuse to accept responsibilities to lead their family. 
They just lay it all aside, pack up and leave. Very sad. And you deal with the aftermath that comes out of a family like that. It's horrific. Now, I realise there are causes within society that place undue pressure on parents to lead. There are causes like both parents that have to work because of financial needs. That's an undue pressure that is in our society today. Or there's parents who have to give more than expected at their workplace because of the lack of job security and long hours are spent because they don't want to lose the job by the pressure of the unjust employer. These things happen. These pressures that are placed on us, they wear us down, they tire us out. And so you just sort of let responsibility slide. That's what happens. It just gets away from you, doesn't it? But sooner than later, they do catch up and they must be confronted. And that's when your leadership will then be challenged. So we don't want to get to that place in the first place. Now, some people approach this. The way they do it is just to give up. They throw in the towel and they get out. And that's pretty much how the world answers this. Just get out. Move on. It's too hard. Others either deny its existence, they shrug it off and they go and have another beer or wine or chocolate or ice cream. Whatever it is to numb you from the reality of what's going on around you. You know, and I think we've probably all done that at some level. I know I have. It's just got too much and I've just shrugged it off and just gone, this is just too hard. It's a sad case. But I think what God wants us to do is to take a deep breath and to confront it. We need to call out to God for his strength. It's that drawing on the river, isn't it? That's what we need to do, to draw from the river. That's the spirit we have within us the refreshing waters of the Spirit that we can say, we need your help to lead. And you draw upon him to do that. And then you can lead well. Ultimately, it's only as you face the challenge of leading your family does your family benefit. Families need leaders, those committed to bite the bullet and commit themselves to the best of the family. The edge Christians have for leadership, I believe, is found in what Jesus said. He said this, the greatest leader, he is the greatest leader of all. He said this about great leading. He said, to be the greatest leader, you must be the greatest servant. That's summed up. To be the greatest leader, you must be the greatest servant. Here's the verses. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. See, Jesus, notice here, is not advocating power. He doesn't mention power here. He's not pushing power here. He's not pushing authority. He's not pushing responsibility. I mean, position. He's saying be responsible. Take the reins and do something. True leadership is responsibility. Leaders are not great because they're powerful. Now, that doesn't, I don't, I'm not denying that that's why some people are there, but a truly great leader is one that is responsible in their leading. Servant leadership is what Jesus both displayed and asks from us. That is the true way to be a great leader. Jesus' leading was not by power, but by example. What did he do just before Rick read to us and he broke the bread? 
he disrobed, got down as a servant and washed the disciples' feet. And he said, do this like I'm doing to you. That's leadership. That's leadership. And if it all sounds too hard, remember this. As you commit to servant leadership, the Holy Spirit will both direct and empower you to fulfil what you need to do. So you are not alone in servant leadership. You have God leading you so you can lead others. So what's the question? Get real, take action. Does your family see and experience God working in and through you in serving them? Do they? Third one, resolving conflicts. Now, have you ever parted company from a person with unresolved conflict? I, I hate that. Maybe have you ever gone off to bed with unresolved conflict in your marriage? It's even worse. You don't sleep. That's what I found. You don't sleep. The problem is it stays in your mind and it churns over and it, and it literally tears you apart. Well, that's my experience. Living in relationships that are out of harmony have terrible ramifications for life, for both those in the conflict as well as those living around it. And I remember... When my marriage was, my first marriage was falling apart, my children were caught up in that. And I've talked to many kids that have caught up while their parents fight. And it's a horrific thing for the children. Conflict needs to be resolved. The problem is unresolved conflicts lead to arguing. Then arguing leads to anger, and then anger leads to destructive actions. It's that downhill run, isn't it? And then bad things happen. A lot of families suffer because problems are not faced head on. They're not discussed. They're not worked through. Working through problems doesn't mean you can't have your own opinion though. This is what a lot of people fall into the trap of, I think. Doesn't mean you can't have your own opinion. We're all individuals. We all have our own opinions. The problem's not what you believe but how hard you push it. That's what I find in resolving conflict. A lot of that, I think, has to do with pride. I mean, the ego gets in the way, I think, of resolving conflicts. What's the middle letter of pride? I. That's why the word is said this way, I think. I, I'm right. I'm not giving in. I'll prove them wrong. Have you ever said that? That's the pride that rises up inside us. And therefore I believe humility is really at the centre of resolving conflicts. Humility needs to be at the centre, not pride. Pride needs to get the boot and you need to be humble and come in completing the servant leadership. Drawing upon the stream that God has placed you next to and working it through. The resolving of conflict starts with me. Humility must be the first base. You must be prepared to allow the other person to be themselves and have their own opinions. Remember that it's not opinions that cause problems, but the way they're pushed. The other side of this is you don't have to agree to stop conflict. Okay, You don't have to agree to stop conflict. There are other ways. It can be you're choosing to disagree and leaving it at that that can dissolve tension 
and relationship breakdown. Choosing to disagree because you both have a different opinion. When two people approach each other with the attitude to consider the other's opinion, and even if neither can see it, when both decide not to push their own way, nor argue over who is right, but for the sake of the relationship, agree to disagree without carrying a grudge, and that's important, then and only then do they grow stronger and stronger from it. It's an important lesson to learn when we come together in conflict. This is one of the areas that when I do marriage counselling, I talk to the new couple about. How do you resolve conflict? Because it will come in a marriage and it affects the whole family if it's not dealt with. Resolving conflict means working it all out because the other person is important enough to do so. I say that again. Resolving conflict means working it all out because the other person is important enough to do so. The Bible says this, whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Quarreling and arguing seek only destroy. Paul said it, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. So there is a sense that we will get angry. But he says, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, being wronged, hurt and mistreated can make you believe you have the right to be angry. And right there, once you think you have that right, that pride gets in, the devil's got the foothold. And he's gone, great, I can really mess with you both now. I can cause a lot of conflict. Don't give the devil a foothold. No one deserves to be treated wrongfully, but it's what you do with that anger that can destroy your relationship and in the end, finally you. God's wisdom is to work it out. Get on top of it. Don't let it fester inside. Work with the other person, not against them. Many people become sick and families are destroyed because of unresolved conflict in their lives. You must work at it. You must work at it. If it becomes something that's unresolved and destructive, then you need to seek outside help. Now, I've got no problem going to a counsellor myself when Fee and I get stuck. Someone who is a third party that can help, that can listen, give you both reflection, take a middle line and go, are you both hearing what you're saying? So don't feel disempowered by seeking outside help if that's where you've got to go. Families do not deserve to be destroyed by unresolved conflict. So here's the question. How well do you deal with conflict in your family? It will arise, but can it be managed well? Can it be managed well? Lastly, trustworthy actions. No one likes to be ripped off. If I was to get you to put up your hands and said, would you like to get ripped off in life? I'm guaranteed 100% you go, no, I don't want that. I remember buying a car once. I thought it was such a good deal. It was out past Windsor. It was so far out that the NRMA wouldn't come and do a check on it because it was outside their territory. And I'm not a mechanic. I went to this property. It was parked out on a beautiful, green, luscious, sloping paddock just near the farmhouse. And I thought, this is one wonderful car. It's quite cheap too. 
well, it was a couple of grand less than the other ones that were going for it. I'm going to buy this. You know, I poked and pushed and turned the trafficator and blinker on and the lights, it all worked. I get it home. I got it home. That's about all it did. And it was a horror. Things started to just... My mate who lived up the road is a policeman. And I said... He came down and had a look at it because he's a mechanic also. He's, a, he's actually a mechanic for the water police. And I said, John, there's something wrong with this. And he just did a few little things and went, man, you, you've bought a bomb. Let me run a check on it. Oh, that was the worst thing. It had been stolen. It had been thrashed. It had been dumped in the side of a ditch and had all the wheels and the dashboard stripped out of it. So the insurance kind of put it back together and then they sold it to me. And uh, I didn't know any of this. I felt so ripped off. Because they're selling it to me going, wonderful car, never had any problems, goes well, low kilometres. I'm going, yeah, it's a new Speedo, that's why. <laughs> ah. Anyway, so that's, that's, that, that's anyway. A lemon, yes, like that. The strength of family is in the knowledge that you treat each other fairly. Isn't that right? The strength of a family is that you treat each other fair. You know that you can trust each other. I remember my little boy, Jaden. He used to get on the top bunk and he used to jump off into my hands. He was like Superman. He could fly. So we'd test this out by me stepping a st- and he'd jump in and I'd step back. And we used to see how far he could fly into my arms. That's all about trust. Can't let the mother see that happening, by the way, guys. <laughs> but between two blokes, it's fine. He loved it. I loved it. I never dropped him once. Twice, maybe, but not once. Um, you know, that's trust, isn't it? And isn't that what family should have? You should be able to jump into the arms of your family and know that they're going to catch you. And you only get there from trustworthy actions. See, what, what usually happens is that someone in the relationship will do something without thought of the consequences or their actions or their words, and this leads to hurt and disharmony in the family. Marriage break down through unfaithful actions. Marriages break down through unfaithful actions. It's amazing how many storylines and scenarios shown on TV and, and in, on the movie screens are about topics that undermine marriage. So no wonder our marriages are breaking down. It's what sells the movies. It's what puts the plots on TV. We're watching it all the time. We just think it's the norm. We all know too well that it takes a long time to build a good and strong relationship, yet it can be just one thing that can destroy all that you've given yourself to. One thing. Again, it's a case of thinking before you act and considering the other person's feelings before your own. Now, the Apostle Paul, he had this word for building up good relationships. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. That's a good verse to get imprinted across the front of your mind, isn't it, when you come to families? No one should seek their own good but the good of others. If we can remember to put other people first in our families by being faithful in our actions then we would have closer families and ultimately we'd have a better society to live in. John said this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
And that's why we say get real and take action. It's not just about the words you're hearing in this service this morning. It's about what you're going to do with the words that you're hearing. It's in the taking of action, isn't it? Trustworthy actions place flesh on the love words that you speak. He said this, Paul, very, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I believe God knows best for the family and he knows how important it is for the makeup of society. You see, when we mess up, the ramifications are immense. And that's why he has so much to say on acting in a manner that's in line with what he desires and the way we should live. And sometimes it means saying sorry. You know, Bella and I have an interesting relationship. Sorry, Bella, I'm going to use you again. Stepdaughter, stepdad. You know, we come together. Bella was nine. She's sinking. She comes, we, we, I come into her life at nine and we've had 10 years together building this relationship. But you know what? We get into these clashes. We bump heads. Probably similar personalities, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe that we just don't know each other. We've been getting to know each other. Now, I'm not saying whether her action was right or wrong. Let's not go there. (laughs) But my response to her action was wrong. And I've had to do this a couple of times. It's the way I've responded to what she's done that has been wrong. And I think I can count about four times where the house is just in absolute thunder and lightning and darkness because of the banging of heads, where when we've separated and parted, I've had to put my tail between my legs and go into her bedroom and sit on her bed and apologise. Because I was out of place and I had to say sorry. It was not right for me to speak the words the way I spoke them. You see, it's not about the action that we're talking about here. It's my reaction to what was going on. And I would hope today, Bella and I have a better relationship because she knows that I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to say I'm not perfect and apologise when I'm out of line. Now, I'd expect the same from her and she does It's a two-way street. But isn't that what children need to see from our parents? Trustworthy actions. We're not perfect. We're going to stuff up. But we need as parents to be able to say, look, I'm sorry for doing that. I made a mess of that. Let's get this right again and work on this down the track. Okay? So here's the question. Can your loved ones experience actions that speak louder than your words? That's a big call. Can your loved ones experience actions that speak louder than your words. I'm going to close. We need to get real and take action in these four qualities, don't we? Get God-centered. Serve as Christ served. Resolve the conflicts that go on around you and act in a manner that displays the love that God has. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come forward and I'm going to just commit this time to God. Great God, these are great words. We know that you challenge us on these areas because the family is the core for your unit of society. But Father God, these are just not actions that are for those of us who have families. These are actions of the individual. We need to make sure that you are at our centre so that we can move out from 
the strength of living next to the river and drawing that which is ours to be fulfilled and, and to be full of all that you have for us. We thank you for the challenge this morning, Holy Spirit. We thank you that these actions might be more than the words that we've heard and that we might live out of these. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.